You're listening to The Upland Rookie, a podcast presented by Upland Brits. What up, rookies, and welcome to the Upland Rookie Podcast. I'm your host, Will Larson, and as always, this is presented by Upland Brits. If you want to get everything your dog's got, then you need nutrition that holds nothing back. To help unleash your dog's maximum potential, check out Yukonuba's premium performance lineup at yukonubasportingdog.com. Also brought to you by Trinity Bretons. Trinity Bretons, they're offering the Trinity Upland Academy to help each Trinity Breton client attain and develop the highest level of training available with George Hickox. Reserve your spot for the next Trinity Upland Academy, June of 2022. Hit up Josh, ask for all the details, questions, all that good stuff at trinitybretons.com or Instagram, Facebook, you name it, reach out to Trinity Bretons. Also, Gunner Kennels. So thankful for Gunner Kennels. Uh, I really do need to come up with a better opening segment for Gunner Kennels, uh, but I, I'm going to say this for now. They are the best, I repeat, the best kennels I have personally used uh, for my dogs. I've used every other major brand out there, and I have to say Gunner's take the cake hands down. So if you want to learn a little bit more in depth, uh, some of the features I like about the Gunner Kennels, go back to episode, I think it's 24, and you can hear a little bit more uh, in-depth overview. I give uh, some of the features I like and and the reasons I chose Gunner Kennels. So anyways, guys, I am super excited. I took a week off, uh, crazy just family schedule right now, work, all that stuff. Life's just getting kind of crazy. So I knew this would happen at some point, um, but... I'm sorry. I do apologize for not getting an episode out, not informing you that it was happening, but it happens. (laughs) It just freaking happens. Um, But I'm back with another great episode today. Um, And we're going to dive in and and talk all things, not all things, but a big portion of of the conversation today. Um, It's going to be with Nate Strickler. And uh, a big portion is going to be focused around youth hunting. Uh, so I kind of want to theme this opening segment as well around the youth hunting and really just the youth involvement into the sport we call upland hunting. Um, I think it's a huge, huge thing that can get overlooked at times. Uh, I've seen some more stuff out there maybe recently in the last year or so, uh, just promoting youth, uh, hunts, youth, getting youth involved, uh, the whole R3 movement. Uh, Nate and I talk about that definitely a little bit in this episode, but, um, I kind of wanted to kick things off my own experience. Just, you know, just kind of talking about, um, you know, my own kids a little bit, uh, my own kids getting involved in upland hunting, dog training. Um, and I want to, share kind of a distinct difference. I think there is a, a difference. Um, and again, this is just from my, my direct perspective. Um, there's, there's getting youth involved in hunting. Yes, that is one thing and that is amazing. Um, the other side to it and what I've been seeing with my own kids is they really, really enjoy the, the training aspect of the dogs, uh, taking care of our pigeons, um, 
you know, just getting out to train, whether it's here at home, at some local fields around us, uh, driving out an hour east to, you know, work dogs and, and uh, shoot some uh, training birds or, you know, working on, on different drills. They're really enjoying that aspect of it. And some of my kids might not ever want to actually go hunting. They might. Absolutely. I'm going to try hunting with all of them. Um, but just for you, if you have kids or neighbors, kids or nieces or nephews that you're, you know, helping get involved in this, the end goal doesn't always have to be, they have to love hunting. I just want to make that dis- clear distinction. Um, I think my three older ones, the, the, the babies are, are too young right now, obviously to, to tell what, what they're going to be into. Um, so my nine-year-old, she is super interested in training dogs, all things dogs. She loves just talking, you know, why did we pick this dog? What about that one? Uh, what traits do you like, Dad? And, and just asking questions. She's interested. She wants to go train dogs with me. Um, you know, all that stuff. Very interested. And she wants to go hunting. So I'll get her out here maybe in the next year or so. Maybe this year. We'll see. Um, and then my seven-year-old, a little bit different. He um, he he could kind of take it or leave it. Um, youth sports and hockey is is really his his passion right now, and I'm coaching his team. Uh, hence just again, taking up definitely a lot of my time right now. And, um, or no, he's not seven. He's eight actually. Jeez. Yeah. He's eight now. Sorry. Um, so, so his things really, even dogs and training and Hey buddy, you want to go, you want to go train dogs with me? And he's like, ah, well, I mean, kind of, <laughs> maybe not really. Um, and that's okay that yeah, he might not go down this path at all. And that's, and that's fine. Um, Will I still try? Absolutely. Absolutely going to, you know, always still invite him to come out with me. Um, definitely want to, you know, again, try to get him out on a hunt when he's a little older. Uh, now we'll go to the five-year-old. The five-year-old, um, he is, he lives and breathes hunting and dogs. <laughs> he just, he lives and breathes it. Um, also pigeons. He is super into the pigeons. Since, since we added those uh, this past spring, um, this kid has... I mean, he got a bird bag for his birthday. Uh, he has pretend pigeons. He stuffs in the bag. He got a little toy gun from Cabela's. He throws birds up in the air and, and tries to shoot them, shoots them with Nerf Nerf darts and all that good stuff. And he's just obsessed. He'll watch pigeon videos on YouTube and how to train homing birds and all this all this stuff. And I'm over here as a dad. I am super super freaking excited um, just to see his passion and excitement. And so that you know. I'm going to still foster that and and really kind of help cultivate that um, that love for the outdoors and dogs and, and hunting and all that good stuff. Uh, you know, going to my seven year old or eight year old, you know, it's going to take a little bit more intentionality, I think, with him uh, just to kind of figure out, hey, what do you enjoy about this? What don't you enjoy? And, and just kind of uh, I'll have to spend a little bit more time maybe with him. And so I just wanted to kind of share where my my three older kids are at, um, just to help kind of uh, I don't know. Just give, put it in perspective. That's my experience with my kids. Um, and the end goal always doesn't have to be, they have to love hunting. Um, again, like my, you know, my old, my daughter, the oldest one, um, she might just really end up loving the training side of, of dogs. And that might eventually lead, all this can lead to a passion and a love for hunting. All of it can lead there. Absolutely. Um, you just have to realize where your kids are, um, if, if it's getting to be too much, if they're not, you know, really loving it, don't, don't press too hard. Uh, you know, I don't want to just try to state the obvious, but you know, back off, kind of understand your kids for where they are and, and, and yeah, 
things will come. So again, I'm not here to give parenting advice. I'm just sharing my thoughts uh, on where my kids are with with hunting and dogs and, and all that good stuff. Um, you know, a lot of a lot of youth hunting uh, seasons are opening up here. Uh, I think uh, Iowa just opened, I believe. Um, Nebraska, I think, is coming up this weekend. Um, Nebraska's season, youth season. So there's a lot of you know youth involvement happening, and I think um, you know again, whatever you know social media you follow or organizations, you know, habitat organizations you're a part of, um, you're going to hear different things. And, um, I just want to say here on this podcast, from my perspective, um, we have to be intentional. We have to be intentional with the youth, um, because this is the next generation of upland hunters, dog trainers, all that stuff. This is the next generation sitting with us right now. Uh, all five of my kids are inside. Um, I think, I think and I hope they're doing their homework right now. But this is next generation. And if I just sat on my ass and did nothing with my kids, never uh, got out to train dogs, never invited them, or I never, you know, brought them on a hunt or never involved them with what I'm doing and cleaning birds and, you know, explaining, hey, this is what this does and, you know, gear and, and this is why we look, um, you know, we're looking for pheasants on this type of land and, and really being intentional, explaining things, you know, at an appropriate level for them. Um and also being intentional and in making the experience fun. You'll hear Nate and I talk about this a little bit on this episode. Um, but being intentional about making it fun, having a great snack game, uh, and Nate will share, I know, on on this episode. You know, making things you know, a positive experience. Um, and so I just don't think this can be overstated. Um, we can't just do nothing. We can't just sit on our butts and hope our kids enjoy the outdoors and the uplands. We have to be intentional. Um, I'll be honest with you. My... Um, there are days I don't feel like going out and work my dogs. There are days I just don't feel like it. But now with kids in the picture, they're getting that bug. And even when they were they were just getting the bug, um, that was a motivation to, to get me out there, bring them along. It's early, yeah, but you know what? Like, <laughs> sleep is sleep. We'll, we'll, we'll sleep enough when we're dead, right? Um, so, but it, it kind of helped drive me a little bit, push me a little bit to even get out there because of the kids were watching. They're watching. Well, well, dad's putting a lot of time and effort into this, um, you know, and it's a great, I, this is, I guess the, the point I really want to drive home uh, before we dive into the episode. Um, this is, and it can be an amazing, amazing experience to connect with your kids and spend time with them. Um, there, yes, there are so many important things, school, sports, all that stuff. That's great. That is absolutely great stuff. I think you sports and hobbies and activities, it's awesome. I'm not saying upland hunting is the only way to go. Um, but upland hunting in, in outdoors, big game, I don't care what kind of hunting we're talking about, saying youth involvement can be such a great way to spend quality time with your kids uh, in the outdoors and teach some really, really good, valuable lessons. Um, I really wish I did that more with my dad growing up. Um, we fished a lot. You've heard me talk. I got into hunting a little bit later with my dad. Um, but I, I really wish and I crave, uh, I wish we could have done that more when I was younger because um, I wanted to spend that time with him. I, I wanted to shoot birds too, and I thought that was cool. I thought I wanted to, wanted to do that when I was young. But really at the heart of it and what it boils down to is I wanted to spend more time with him. And um, I think that's at the, at the core of a lot of our kids. They want to spend more time with us, moms, dads, you know whoever it is. 
And so this opportunity, this, this upland hunting, uh, I think it can provide some amazing quality time with your kids, uh, driving in the car, uh, hunting, you know, whatever, whatever it might be hiking. Um, just get these kids out there and give them the chance and give them the opportunity to, uh, to see what it's about. Because like I said, they're the next generation. And, um, and there's a lot of talk of, of people saying, oh, you know, it's dying, dying sport. And, you know, things are trending in a bad direction direction. But, um, I really think it's each of our responsibilities to get kids out there, not just our own. You might have neighbor kids and, and you know, in, uh, you might have an influence in their life to some degree, or again, like I said, nieces, nephews, um, cousins, who, whoever it might be. Um, I think we have a responsibility to help share, um, this thing that we love. We're, we're, we're all posting on social media. We're all devouring podcast content, hours and hours of podcast content. We are consuming a week, but then when it comes to getting, you know, getting youth out in the field, um, you know, we might just sit on our hands and, and say, like, oh, well, I'm going to go out by myself. Um, and just to be real too, like, you know, my, with my five kids, I'm going to focus on them. I just don't have, probably have the, the realistic capacity to invest in, you know, at least at this point in my life, you know, neighbor kids, cousins, things like that. I, I have five kids in front of me that, um, that are my priority, my goal. Uh, I'm their dad. And that's my priority. My family's my priority. Um, sure, that will come as my kids get older and you know, want, maybe want to bring friends along. I think that'll come naturally to expose even more kids um, to the uplands and, and all that good stuff. So, um, but kind of the question of the day right now is, you know, I'm kind of talking around it, but like, what is it for you? Like, what are you going to do this year uh, to invest in the youth uh, and to ex- expose them to the outdoors? And so uh, kind of want to leave you with that, ponder that as you uh, dive into this episode. Um, but again, guys, thank you so much. I really, uh, really, really, really love uh, doing this podcast, love chatting. Thanks for staying with me on this long ramble on uh, episode I think 27 right now. Um, but anyways, I'm going to cut it off here. We're going to uh, jump into the conversation with me and Nate Strickler. Yeah. <laughs> that's, that's like yeah. Illinois, Illinois. Um, I'm sure Illinois has some bird hunting, but it's just, it's so much uh, private land and which is fine, but yeah, it's, um, it's, it's yeah, it's a mess. My wife is from the Chicago suburbs and okay. she has family on farms in Illinois. And I've run my dogs out there. I've never seen a pheasant <laughs> yeah. in 25 years. I've never yeah. seen a pheasant yeah. out there. <laughs> yeah. So, I, I, I've never seen a wild pheasant. I've, I've seen plenty of preserved birds and all that, but never, uh, never got in a while. I did some, a lot of duck hunting, a lot of waterfowl in Illinois. And um, my uncle would always say we were, we were hunting and uh, he's like, well, as we're walking back to the truck, walk this fence line. And sometimes, you know, I've, I've seen a pheasant or two there. And every time I went out, I always walked the fence line, always excited, waiting for a pheasant to pop up. Nothing. Nothing. <laughs> so I don't know if he was just getting my hopes up or, or what, but maybe one of you out of the house. Uh, that could be, that could be. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so, <laughs> that's awesome. Well, Nate, um, let's, let's jump in. Tell us a little bit uh, of who you are. Give us a kind of an overview and um, yeah, officially put us on a map. Uh, where are you from? Name is Nate Strickler. I am in central Iowa, south central, so suburbia outside of Des Moines. Born and raised in the Des Moines area. Left for college, but came back. And I've really just stayed here and built my roots. Roots are well sunk here within the area. Uh, I'm 47 years old. Father, um, father of three. Husband, nice. father of three. Nice. 
very much committed to my kids and their activities, which, which um, at times certainly limits time afield, right? Commitments to them. As your kids get older, I trust yep. that you, you too yep. will experience that. Sure. Um, but just a pheasant enthusiast had a, a friend in college in, in the mid nineties, introduced me to the sport. Um, he had a wire hair, a farm dog wire hair that we walked draws at the time was fascinated by the dog going on point, And I was hooked ever <laughs> since then. So wow. that's how I got in the sport. And now I'm just, again, I'm a normal every man guy that um, very much committed to family and community that spends a lot of time afield. And I think that persistence has allowed me to become pretty successful uh, at, at locating wild Iowa roosters. And I'm at a point now in my pheasant hunting or upland hunting career where a lot of my focus has shifted to introduction uh, of others to the sport and really trying to capture the essence of the hunt. That's where my passions now mm. lie. Oh, that's so well said, man. Uh, yeah. you, you touched on uh, three couple big things there that I, I definitely want to want to talk about and cover kids being one of them, uh, getting others in the sport and also just Iowa pheasants and, and all that. Um, sure. so we will, we'll, we'll unpack a little bit of the, each of those more. Um, but so just to kind of go back to your upbringing a little bit. Um, so did you grow up in a hunting family at all? Is, is that part of your tradition growing up or was that for the most part i did not i was not a farm kid i was born in the city right Uh um for those you know listening des moines areas roughly in suburbia is a million people or so right Mm -hmm. Uh, i happen to live in suburbia but i grew up in the city so i was a city kid my father did hunt we did small game hunting but i mean very infrequently Mm -hmm. right sports and academia dominated the household uh for for me and my two brothers um and it wasn't until, as I had mentioned earlier, right, that exposure when I was in college to uh, my roommate and still a very good friend today that grew up in the country here in Iowa in a town called Prairie City and that he introduced me. And that's how I got hooked. So a little bit different than yeah. I imagine a lot of your audiences, right? They grew up as a kid following dad around all those types of things. And it's very common. I hear that from most people with whom I have conversations. My path is different. And um you know, as we, some of the topics, and certainly if this is one you want to get into, but some of the topics I talk with others about R3 and introductions to support, how do we sustain and actually grow yeah. commitment to the support, to the, to the passion, to the support sport that is upland hunting. I think we've got to consider those like me that yeah. just weren't born into it. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, because those that are born into it is dwindling more and more as the years pass. Yeah, no, I, I think you're onto something there because and I definitely want to get in, into some of that R3 stuff more uh, and learn more about it myself. But um, I mean, I'm, I'm very similar. I, I grew up a city, you know, burbs of Chicago, um, dad and uncles, they would deer hunt three, four mm-hmm. times a year, very randomly. Um, my dad was just, he was just super random. I say <laughs> as a hunter sure. and uh, we fished a lot, but it was, it, and so all that to say, the more I'm doing this podcast, the more I've, I've been talking with people on social media, uh, I'm learning a lot of their stories. Yes, there's a huge percentage of people that grew up into this, but I'm, I'm learning more and more. There's, there's guys and girls who, who like you and I, is city or burbs or had no exposure. And that's, mm-hmm. that's the cool part to know. It's, it's not just me. It's not just you. Uh, it's a lot bigger percentage than I thought, at least. That's right. And I think we've got to consider those that lie in those percentages as, um, you know, as target audience for us. 
How do we expose them to the sport? How do we light a fire in them as was the case for me in the mid nineties so that they too can pass it on? Yeah. So, so, I mean, since we're, we're kind of trickling around that subject, let's just dive into it. What talk about how, how did you get so passionate about this, getting others exposed to this, this amazing thing we call upland hunting? Well, I like to, the way I, I often explain and like to explain this to others is that when you, when I got into pheasant hunting, I wanted, I wanted to shoot a pheasant, right? I wanted to bag a pheasant. I wanted to carry a pheasant out of field. And then after I had some successes there, right. I wanted to do it again and again. I wanted to bag more pheasants. Right. And as I've had more time afield and honestly gotten older and there's some maturation in association with aging, uh, I've now wanted to see others experience the same. So, and I don't really care if I shoot a pheasant, I really don't. But to the, to the extent that I can expose others to it and see their first or, or first in association with a dog, right? A lot of people often, and this is true for me as well. Dog work is very important. I don't pheasant hunt without my dogs. And I'm sure we'll talk about them as well and how I got into that. Um, but it's really about bagging a pheasant, bagging a lot of pheasant, and then watching other people bag a pheasant. And I'm certainly in that latter stage right now. Yeah. Uh, Are there any, um, so going back when you, when you started with your buddy in college, uh, he, you know, he introduced you to it, brought you out, you started having maybe some success. Were there any, I guess, positives or negatives of your beginning experience that you now take and and transfer to this, where you're at now in the stage of life you're in now, where you are just really happy and content, taking new people out, you know, whether you get a bird or don't like, was there anything positive or negative from your past that that's kind of translated over to, to where you are now that kind of shaped you? Yeah. Well, certainly times are very, very different. It was, it was much different back then. It was much easier draw hunting, no CRPs, that type of things. But the things that have remained consistent and what hooked me then was the camaraderie, right? Hmm. The dog work, the challenge in association with that. And perhaps unlike some others, I appreciate the physical, you know, the f- physical fitness aspect of it, right? Sure. I enjoy walking a field and I enjoy putting miles on the boots. So all those things were true then uh, and are still true today. Mm. And just as I'm sure my buddy at the time was enthused to see my passion, you know, as I got to experience those first now kind of roles have not reversed in that he's involved, but now I'm in his shoes. Um, at this point in time and typically with kids and, you know, net new dads, fathers of, of, of kids afield, I get to see them experience as was mine in the nineties with my buddy at the time. Yeah. That's, that's so cool, man. I think the more, the more we can, can do that and expose, you know, new hunters who to this it's um, again, even that the R3 thing, I haven't, to be honest, I haven't really dove into like what all that means and, and really the, I guess more behind the scenes of that. Um, but I think the, the basics are there. It's, it's exposing people um, who are new to this or maybe have an interest or shown an interest um, to this, to the sport. And I think it's, mm-hmm. uh, like you said, it's, it's going to help grow this next generation because it's, it's not a bunch of farm kids who were raised in this. It's going to be people who are coming out of Chicago or Milwaukee or, you know, right. That's cities, right. Like, cities like that. And those are necessities, right? R3 and all that, you know, these charitable organizations, these nonprofits, Pheasants Forever, you know, yeah. Quail Forever, et cetera, are doing on our behalf uh, is, is critical to our success and sustainability of, of the sport or passion. Um, but it's not enough, right? And that's mm-hmm. where 
I, I trust you may hear in my voice now, or you certainly will going forward. That's where we have obligation. Um, I feel a sense of obligation to play my part because it's not an, I fear, unfortunately, it's not enough. Um, to rely on other organizations. Only on the yes. other organizations. It's not enough. You can do all the shoots you want. You can do the, the training courses. You can do the introductions, the groupons. There's nothing like, um, at least in my point of view, there's nothing like that one-on-one or one-on where a couple, right? Sure. That closer, more intimate experience where it is truly an experience from jumping in the truck in the morning, mm-hmm. <laughs> right. To watching them fall asleep in the back of the truck as we work our way home. Right. The entirety of that experience. It's not just the time of field, but, but from soup to nuts, leaving the driveway, um, hitting the driveway back home at night. That's the experience that I think we as private individuals, um, committed to upland hunting need to, um, we need to look to play our part. And I get that uh, much of your audience, right. They might be new to hunting themselves. I mean, your own podcast, right. is largely <laughs> yeah. named after that. Right. Yeah, yeah. So I, I get the, the maturation uh, and we're all at different stages of that, but keeping that in mind, as you're looking to, to build your own experience and, and expertise yeah. when you're a field, uh, if you can do that in a way that positions you better down the road to pass it on, hmm. you know, that's, that's really my encouragement to your audience. Yeah. That's great, man. Well, um, this just kind of popped in my, my mind when, when we're talking. Um, so when you're taking you know, maybe someone new out, uh, maybe it's again, neighbor, friends, you know, someone's kid, well, what are some of the, the basic things you're going to tell them as you're going into this hunt, Wh- whether it's safety wise, whether it's kind of preparing them what to expect, like what are some of the things that you like to touch on bringing a new hunter out? Yeah. Uh, so it starts way before they get in my driveway and jump in the truck. Um, I look to first, um, enthuse them, right. I I want them to be passionate about, I want, I share stories with them so that I hook their interest. So they're not doing it out of obligation because their dad wants to, or out of obligation because Nate's asked for the third time. Right. But because they truly want to do that. Right. Then key, key, key piece of advice. Uh, when you take kids out, your snack game has to be strong. (laughs) You've got to have lots of quality (laughs) snacks and drinks in the truck so that for me, I mean, even, even though I am in, you know, the North Northwest suburbs, um, I still often drive an hour, sometimes an hour and a half away, which I know for, for you, you drive much further, but when you got got kids in the truck, right. It's not, uh, their perspective, uh, uh, on time is a little bit. Oh yeah. An hour feels like four. That's right. That's right. So, so, and certainly safety, obviously, yeah. uh, is a key, key component <laughs> yeah. throughout, um, not only time in the truck and before we get a field and when we get out of the truck and just level setting all those things, but way before too. Mm. So I actually have, um, I let them shoulder, you know, obviously an un- unloaded and, and mm. safe gun, practice shouldering it, practice walking, practice shouldering it while walking, right. Mm. And coming to a stop and walking all the tips about dogs, right. Gun tip always up. Don't shoot a low, um, yeah. a low flying bird, those types of things. Um, and then I just remind them that there's no pressure. Mm. I think that's a big component. A lot of the, the vast majority of kids that have jumped in the truck with me and even dads are first time hunters. It's almost like they, they, they shoulder this sense of obligation and that they need to bag a bird to make mm. me happy or, or mm. what have you. So I do my best to ensure that, that there's no such expectations. I'm just wanting them to enjoy the experience and we will pivot however they are feeling in the field, in the moment 
to, to make for the best experience I can for them. Right. Yeah. Um, we're fortunate enough here in Iowa and I'm sure we'll get into numbers. Um, not pulling the trigger on a pheasant is, is just fine because mm. odds are we're going to have another opportunity. Sure. So I really ingrain that as much as I can. When in doubt, do not pull that trigger because we'll have another chance for you. Yeah. Uh, dude, that's okay. really, really good. I like that. You're, you're, like you said, you're starting way before, you know, the night of, or the, you know, day before you go, you're, you're starting a lot longer before uh, sure. mentally preparing them for this experience. Yep. yep. I think that's really cool. How, um, so how's it been with your, so your kids, do they, are they getting out in the field with you and how did that come about? Has it, have they just been excited to naturally? Has it like, how's that, that been with your kids? No, really the same encouragement that I've, that I've offered to, um, you know, friends of my kids, I offered to my own. I, I have three kids, uh, boy, girl, boy, 17 down to 11, all of whom are very, very active, active academically. And from a sports perspective, um, so we have to manage our time and there's a lot of competing priorities, which again, gets back to sure. all that we are competing against as we look to introduce more. Um, to upland hunting. Uh, my oldest now is 17 and he, believe it or not, Will, he's gotten to a point where he's not um, always of opinion that his dad is the coolest guy in the world, right? Hey, what? What? <laughs> yeah. This really happens? It does happen. It does Darn happen. It. So, Darn it. Uh, yeah. My kids still think I'm cool, but my oldest is nine. And so <laughs> yeah. I, yeah, I'm sure that's going to come to an end sometime. So he, it's been some time. He did he did and has many, many a time joined me a field. I have lots of pictures. In fact, I think on Instagram today, I posted a photo <laughs> of him and I don't know, six years ago, uh, with a dog that has since passed, uh, that, that I owned, um, now most active is my daughter. Who's 14. Okay. Uh, I think she generally likes to just spend time with me. She doesn't have as many competing, uh, priorities academically and, and athletically as does my 17 year old. So she's a field with me quite quite a bit love shooting. Um, she shot her first bird, I think two years ago it was. Okay. Uh, and last year in particular, she really turned into, uh, an, an independent hunter where she was mm -hmm. demonstrating what she had learned and not always looking to me for direction. Right. Yeah. And that's a really cool moment. A <laughs> really cool moment. Uh, yeah, when so you can cool. see them live that out. Uh, and then my 11 year old also hunts with yeah. me. So my 14 and 11 year old are still actively hunting with me. I will take both of them and their friends out here on youth season. Yeah, that's fantastic. As you were talking about uh, your, your 14 year old daughter, when she shot her first bird and I was thinking, oh, that must be such a cool moment when your kids, you know, shoots their first bird. But then you mentioned once she transitioned into the more that, that true independent, like she, she's putting into practice what she learned as a dad myself, I'm going, that would probably for me, it is be the more yep. proud moment when you That's get to right. see your kid, you know, putting the pieces together, figuring things out for them, themselves. No doubt about it. No doubt. I, I can, I see, I can see that experience. I know the field. I see it in my mind right now as, yeah. as you summarize <laughs> yeah. that. Yeah. Absolutely. That, that was it. That's a memory that I will very likely carry uh, to my grave. Yeah. Uh, no doubt about it. Absolutely. Um, with uh, more, just curious with your kids, when, um, when was the earliest you, you started taking them out actually in the field with you to hunt? I remember carrying kids oh, okay. on my back a lot <laughs> of the time, right? Safety, you know, sure, sure. always, always consider it, uh, of all things from a safety perspective, but 
um, you know, little legs, tire and, and big blue stem. Right. <laughs> yeah. And, and I try to manage those experiences, certainly do edges and, and better grasses and all those types sure. of things. Um, but, um, they must've been, I'll, I'll bet you Kate was probably out with me at four, maybe five years old. Okay. Okay. Um, but not shooting until I think she was 12, maybe even 13 is when okay. she shot. But my, my, now 11 year old did carry a gun, did not get a bird, but did carry a gun in a very controlled setting <laughs> sure. last year. Nice. Uh, but this year, I, I, I think that he'll, he'll probably very likely connect on a bird this year, okay. but, but they've been a field. I mean, they, they've walked yeah. and, and I have a very, very good friend that um, actually, believe it or not, has his ninth child on the way. Oh, wow. Um, <laughs> More than <so>, me. <laughs> yeah. And their kids, their kids have um, followed us a field carrying BB guns and all mm. that type of stuff. Um, picking up corn cobs and um, for a long time, as long as they can walk, we've taken yeah. them out. That's so cool. Yeah. yeah. My, um, so my, out of, out of all the kids, the nine-year-old, uh, my, my nine-year-old daughter and my five-year-old son are, are showing the most interest. Um, whenever I'm taking dogs out to you know, work them, train them, whatever. Um, they're like the five-year-old, especially he's like, in the truck before I am, <laughs> and, uh, yeah. but the walking part, that's, that's, we're getting in, in some taller grass now and things like that. And, uh, he's just having a hard time keeping up. I look back last week and I was, I was out working dogs and I kind of lost him for a quick second, you know, we're in real tall grass. I'm trying to keep up with the dogs. And I look back, I'm like, Weston, where are you? He's like, I'm over here, dad. Yeah. Sure. Like, What's going on? Had to on? raise his hand so you yeah, can see him. Exactly. Yeah. He's like, dad, the, the, he's like, dad, the grass has hit me in the face. I'm like, all right, come here. Yep. Yep. So that's geared, right. geared in the rest of the way, but. Yeah. But you, I mean, you're doing it right. You're exposing them to the process and the process yeah. is, is maybe not 365 days a year. Right. But the process is year round. It's not yeah. just about the time of field yeah. when you're trying to bag a rooster or, you know, whatever upland game you're going after. Yeah. It's the entirety of the process. And especially when your kids are young, if you can expose them and welcome them in, they just want to spend time with you. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And the more time that they spend with you and you make for an environment that's conducive to their learning and interest, mm-hmm. I think the better position you're going to be to have them tugging on your shirt saying, dad, can I come in the morning? Right. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, simple things. I, I keep uh, I have about eight or nine pigeons right now. And even from just, Hey, we have to either, these are birds that we use as tools that, you know, work the dogs. Um, you know, the five-year-old, he's shown interest in helping, you know, fresh water, feed them, yeah. clean their coop because it's just, it's been those daily parts. Like you're saying, so it's kind of the daily in and out things of, Hey, this is, you like, you like bird dogs. You like, you know, hanging out with me. Well, Part of the process is taking care of pigeons. <laughs> so, yep. Yep. That's right. Yeah. I don't currently have homers, but I did at, at our prior house and kids did the same thing. They loved flying the birds, yeah. loved flying them and, and seeing if we race the vehicle back home and would the birds be this <laughs> back home, et cetera. So yeah. um, you're doing it right. Man. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. That's cool, man. Um, talk, let's talk about Iowa a little bit. What is, again, from what I've heard back mm-hmm. in the day, Iowa was lights out just pheasant numbers, even quail, if I remember right, used to be yeah. really good. Yeah. Um, what's it been like the last, last couple of years for you? Um, so before we get to the last couple of years, you're right in what you had heard. I mean, Iowa, we were a million plus bird harvested. Um, uh, it's been a long time since then. And back in the nineties, so when I had, when my buddy asked me to go out, right. Uh, I mentioned the, the environment was very different. We didn't have CRP. There was no big block CRP at that point in time. Uh, and if ever a farmer had something out there that was big block, it was brome. There's no blue stem. There certainly was no pollinator type grasses. 
Forbes flowers, nothing like that at the time, but we had a lot of drops. There was no tiling, uh, even terracing at that point in time was not a big deal. So you had a lot of waterways and seriously, almost every waterway, as long as it was an ag field around it, corn or soybeans, which are two primary crop, crops here in Iowa, you would find birds. Hmm. And it was seriously that easy where you'd walk a draw, you know, when you get to the end of the draw, the dog goes on <laughs> there, point and birds. up come the birds, right? Yeah. It was very, very easy, which, um, you know, when I'm a, you know, roughly 20 years old, 19 years old, that actually, you know, helped, um, introduce some enthusiasm, right? Because sure. I didn't have to walk 10 miles to see two birds, right? Yeah. They were plentiful at the time. There's no doubt about it. And, and I would say until maybe 2004, 2005, maybe a few more years, um, it was much like that. CRP started to come around. We got more of the big block. And at that point in time, it was blue stem. So it was very much mono, but it was excellent winter cover in particular. And we get, I mean, we get some nasty um, winters here. I'm oh, sure we'll get decent amount of snowfall, snowfall, right? And it was great because uh, we don't have a ton of cattails here. Mm-hmm. So it was great winter cover, which just helped the, the population sustain carry over in the hen's head chicks the following year, et cetera. So great bird numbers then in 2008, I think it was, we had five straight years where I think we had, I'm, I'm butchering these numbers, but we had excessive snowfall on the ground, Hmm. um, for a long, long time. And it decimated our birds, absolutely decimated our birds. Um, coinciding with that, the ethanol boom came in Hmm. a lot of the corn, a lot of where their grasses and waterways, all that went away, farmers mm. tiled so they could get more production to produce corn. At that point in time, it was six to seven bucks a bushel of corn for all the ethanol plants. Ethanol plants pop up everywhere, mm. feeds the fuel boom at that point in time. And it's, it severely changed, I think, upon reflection, so, so re- the landscape. Re- so were they putting more corn in or taking corn away? Absolutely. Or? No, no, no. Putting more corn. Putting more in. Significantly okay. more. less were- cover significantly less cover. Yes. Now CRP has come in since then in more competitive ways financially and the ethanol boom has subsided somewhat. I mean, Mm -hmm. you're not getting six to $7 bushel of corn anymore. Um, So it's more competitive from a financial perspective, but we went through a long time. We went through 10 years, I would say 10 years where um, the corn was in such demand for ethanol production and these plants popped up. We have ethanol plants all over Iowa mm-hmm. now. And these family farms, these century farms, um, for whatever reason, right, passed away. Kids didn't take on the family farm, sold to bigger co-ops, et cetera. Mm-hmm. And the landscape significantly changed where, where quite literally the landscape visually changed, where mm-hmm. we took out rolling hills, we took out terraces, we tiled everything so that we could produce more corn. And as we did that, so too went away all those natural waterways that I had mentioned coming sure. up in the sport myself, right? Yeah. Um, so habitat reduced significantly. Uh, and then winter, by chance, we had five really, wow. really harsh years, and it made a significant impact on our population. Wow. Uh, to a point where um, I've been, I've written articles for Pheasants Forever and been quoted where I'd go out and hunt, but 
I always let that first rooster pass, right? We, <laughs> we didn't shoot just yeah. kind of out of respect. Like, Hey buddy, you made it right. Wow. I'm not going to take you out. Same thing for quail, right? And it really hard on the quail wow. uh, as well. So, so that but, those same events impacted obviously both quail and, and absolutely, wow. absolutely. Right. Yeah. Um, now, but you asked about the last couple of years and for sure we have are on an uptick and I think we're going to experience that uptick um, as well again this year, hmm. next year, not so sure. Okay. Um, we, um, CRP has come, come around again, right? It's more competitive from a financial financial perspective. I'm seeing more of it out there. Waterways okay. are gone. They are a thing of, of pastimes. They are okay. no more for the most part. Uh, but there is set aside. I think, I think PF and is doing a nice job and other institutions are doing a nice job, hmm. um, helping, incent farmers to, um, to put in bigger block CRPs or at least buffer strips around waterways, things like that to keep water purity out there. Right. And it is, it's definitely making an impact. So, so birds are on the rise for sure. That's fantastic. Um, yeah. And then you'd asked about quail, right? That's really Southern two tiers, Southern Iowa, Southern two county tiers, uh, of Iowa hold some, some quail, but once you get North of that, for the most part, they're few and far between. Okay. Um, what, so you, you quickly mentioned, you said, um, bird numbers are on the uptick, but you said you don't, you, you were kind of seemed a little doubtful about next year. What do you mean by that? Yeah, Here's why, uh, we've been impacted by the drought as has most, sure. right. Certainly those of you West yeah. of Iowa, been, right. Even more so than us. Um, but w- we've been affected this year and we were last year as well. Mm-hmm. So there's a lot of hang. Oh. Uh, last year there was significant amount of hay. So of, of my fields, I'd say at least half of them, um, went out, hmm. um, bailed up, right. Sold wow. for cattle, et cetera. Um, this year that we have the same emergency haying in place. Okay. So in the corn and beans, it's been obviously drought, very dry. So corn and beans is coming out earlier okay. than normal. So I think almost all of it will be out by a season opener at the end of October. Okay. Uh, and once that happens, I'm expecting as I start scouting to seeing a lot of hay as well. So what does that mean? It means that um, those that come to Iowa and hunt this year, they're going to find birds, right? <laughs> because where you find grass, they're going to be more condensed. There's mm. just, there's, there's less grass for them. Sure. And when you get into good cover, you're going to find birds. My concern is that if by chance we have a rough winter, there's not mm. going to be enough, enough good quality cover to sustain them through those harsh conditions. Gotcha. And it's going to impact next year. Okay. Gotcha. Wow. Um, does Iowa have, um, so like Nebraska, Colorado, we have like a walk-in or open fields and water program. Does yeah. Iowa have the equivalent? What is that like? And we the reason do. I ask yeah. is I've looked on, you know, I looked on Onyx, it was a while back and in, I, I turned on I think it was some kind of public layer. I didn't, I didn't see a ton of it. Is that your experience or, or what is kind of the land access uh, like there? So Iowa is, I mean, it, it's very fertile soil, right? So sure. a lot of agricultural commitment uh, is made. It's expensive ground, mm-hmm. right? And we do a lot of farming here, sure. especially um, I-80 up. I-80 is mm-hmm. uh, the interstate that, that kind of yep. runs east, west and it's not central. It's a little south of that, but anything up of that is, is all ag south of that. We've got more rolling Hills and timber, deer hunting, turkey hunting, that type of stuff. So the land is less valuable. Hmm. Um, so there's not a lot of public hmm. ground here in Iowa. I, I think it's 2%. Wow. It's 2.7% of Iowa lands are public. So 
proportionally, especially if you're doing any comparative analysis to that out West, it's nothing like that. Sure. Okay? But you asked about walk-in programs and this is rather new over the last couple of years to Iowa. We've introduced what's called IHAP. Okay. I th- and I think it's Iowa Hunter Access Program, I believe. Okay. Uh, and it is, it's private ground, uh, typically with some CRP, some, you know, sustainable grasses. Mm. Something is, is compelling about the ground, right? To put it in IHAP uh, that does allow for, um, for those like you and me to walk on private ground and to hunt that ground. Okay. Very cool. That's awesome. Yeah. That's awesome. It, yeah. It's a good move. It, it's a, yeah. it's a, the DNR has done a nice job in standing out that program, knowing full well that, that land acquisition because of yeah. the expense, is just not a sustainable, it's not a, a pragmatic way in which a comp, you know, organization like PF or any nonprofit can go about acquiring land. And, and because the farming, it's just so valuable of what they're producing. So okay. Right. Yeah. Gotcha. I mean, you're going to pay, you can pay anywhere. I mean, it, it varies as you go North, it typically costs more, but you can pay up to 20, $25,000 an acre. Jeez. For, I mean, for prime ag ground, right? Wow. In central Iowa, um, I know because I'm looking. <laughs> so in central <laughs> Iowa, you can pay easily $13,000 wow. an acre. Um, wow. So when you're looking at nonprofits, right? Yeah. All the donations that's and all serious the, money. <laughs> it's serious, serious money. So something like IHAP is a fantastic, that's fantastic cool. idea. Has that been gaining enough steam and excitement? Do you feel that that will continue to grow or, or do you feel it's going to be kind of a slow slow process getting more land enrolled? I don't know. I'm hopeful. Um, I can tell you there's a lot of enthusiasm by, uh, you know, we hunters in Iowa about IHAP and I have seen more IHAP um, on the maps. You mentioned Onyx. I think you can find it uh, via Onyx. I'm not sure about their layers, which layer it would be within, et cetera, but certainly Iowa DNR dot org website, et cetera. It shows all the IHAP ground. So I am optimistic about more and more being enrolled in IHAP. Yes. Will it ever be to a point that can sustain the growth that I hope we see in our hunter numbers? Probably not. No. Uh, If if you're hunting Iowa consistently, uh, you need to gain access to private ground. Yeah. Okay. Gotcha. Um, before we move off Iowa, um, definitely want to get into your dogs a little bit. Um, is it, I can't remember which species I heard this about, but is Iowa, is a prairie chicken or the sharp tail grouse? Did that get re, is there a season for either one of those? And was that new? I, if or, there, if there is a season for grouse, I mean, Northeast Iowa, maybe, but if that's okay. Vaporware, I, I, I mean, <laughs> yeah, I thought I, I saw, it might've been, um, Nick Martin, Iowa bird chaser. Yeah, I, yeah, I, I a while back, I need to check with him. I thought he posted something about um, something happening. It was either the prairie chicken or the sharp-tailed grouse, and that that coming back as a as a short season. But um, I need to, I, I need to reach out to him because I, I saw that and I was like, that'd be interesting. I didn't, I didn't know that was even a thing. Yeah, I'm, look, if you're uh, if you're a glutton for punishment or you just want to get your physical <laughs> exercise in, you want to explore new lands, hey, yeah. I say come to Iowa and, and, and look Try for it. grouse in the northeast yeah. corner of the state. But Do uh, a lot of walking. Yeah. Otherwise, I mean, we're we're a pheasant state, yeah, okay. for sure. And if you're in those southern two tiers of Iowa counties, just think generally southern. Yeah. Probably in, in fact, southwest Iowa in particular, I would think would be more the best quail ground. But they took a beating um, this past. So quail numbers are down pretty significantly mm. this year as well. Okay. Um, but pheasant numbers, 
I mean, there's, there's plenty of pheasant to hunt here for sure. Yeah. That's awesome. Uh, do you, uh, is, is Iowa just so good? You, you just stick kind of close to home or have you gone over to South Dakota, Kansas, Nebraska, anything like that? So this is where you need to ask your audience to, to, to put their beverage down. So they, they don't spill on themselves. <laughs> I have never hunted outside of the state of Iowa. Really? Uh, ever, ever. Wow. I'm waiting for an invite. Will. Uh, <laughs> yeah. no. I'll, I'll meet you no. in Nebraska. <laughs> yeah. Uh, no, the realities are, I mean, I can, there's so many birds here. It's yeah. so prevalent. Why, why travel four five, I, six hours to that's right. And, uh, look, I, uh, I'm very much, very much committed to my wife and my children. And if I'm, um, I'm looking to serve them first as they work their way. I mean, they're all three of my kids are very impressionable ages right now. I need to be, I need to, to serve them first. Uh, but, but as my children kind of age out and become more and more independent and I have more free time, I do, I'm, I'm confident that I'll yeah. start exploring. Yeah. Um, but, but yeah, the pheasant numbers, I have no interest, um, in going to South Dakota or anything like that, because oh, yeah. I can if, do that right here. Yeah. Right? If you got them an hour, hour and a half away. Yeah. 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 I mean, That's I can awesome. go 20 minutes and shoot my limit of birds. No problem. From yeah. here. Um, however, you know, I've watched some, I've heard some of your prior guests, um, certainly, sure. um, a big podcast fan, I'm starting to get more and more of the itch to do some of that open, open, open prairie prairies yeah. where you're walking, you know, in knee high grasses. And, yep. you know, if you, in, in Iowa often, not with kids, sure. but in Iowa, I'm busting brush, right? I'm doing yep. high knees through big blue stem and <laughs> yep. it's, it's not easy work. No, you get your um, leg workout in real quick. That's right. That's right. Um, so as I, especially as I get older, right. Yep, and, yep. <laughs> and I want to explore new things that easier walking, um, there, there's an appeal there that I'm sure I'm going to, yeah. I'm going to, uh, I'm going to invest in and I'm going to look to make some trips in time. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, I, I, someday I'd love to, again, love to meet you somewhere, hunt together. That'd be, that'd be awesome. Sure. Um, yeah. the, one of the things I enjoy is you're kind of talking about that short grass, easy walking is I, I like being able to see my dogs. When, when I'm hunting grouse is I can see them where they're at pretty much everywhere. Um, if as in hunting, you know, I got little, little Britneys and you'll lose them pretty good yeah. visually. Um, you know, where they're at on the, on the GPS, but you can lose them pretty quick. <laughs> yeah. There's no doubt about it. That's true. Right. Um, uh, you, you dance with the one that brought you right. And, yep. and Iowa, I, wild Iowa pheasants brought me into the sport and I'm committed to them and I want to pass that passion on, but there's no doubt about it. Right. Um, so I've got Vishlas, right. Similar yep. size to Brittany's maybe oh, yeah. slightly taller. Right. Yeah. But brown dogs and <laughs> yeah. brown grasses. That's right? even tougher. <laughs> right. So that's even tougher. They, they all wear, you know, blaze orange and I've got, I, I run GPS on them. Right. It used yep. to be beeper collars before that, because sure. you're right. We are often in grasses. I mean, yeah often, usually, usually <laughs> sure. is probably the better word yeah. where we're in grasses where I cannot consistently see them. And sure. to be on an open prairie, we can just take that in. You can see the dog quartering out mm -hmm. at, you know, 120 yards, go on yeah. point. You casually walk in. There's an appeal there, yeah, right? Definitely. For sure. An appeal there. <laughs> definitely. So. Definitely. It's, it's a blast, but, um, so Vishla's what is it? You are my first, uh, yep. My first Vishla guest. Um, so tell me a little bit, what got you into the Vishlas? So I have, um, uh, I've had four Vishlas and I have two at home now. 
Uh, I had, I've had up to three, uh, the older dog just passed away this summer, uh, after a stellar hunting career. It's all, it's all good. Um, um, but when I got my first Vishla Murphy was his name, that was 2000, I think 2001, they were not nearly as prevalent as Hmm. they are now. Um, and honest truth is we were looking for my wife and I at the time, no kids, we were looking for a Weimarimer uh, mm. because we, at the time, and we still are today, we're very athletic uh, people, the whole family, all three of our kids. We do a lot of running athletics. So we were looking for a dog that uh, could participate in those activities mm. and then also didn't shed a lot mm. at home. Sure. Short coat. So, yeah. Shorter coat now. And I've heard some of your prior guests say, and, and they're right. We should still shed, right? It's just smaller <laughs> hair, sure. but not nearly not yeah. nearly like a long haired dog. And I don't have to worry about burrs at all. Yeah. And about a lot of friends hunt with me, setters, right. A lot of yeah. wire hairs and they Go- brush, they yeah. spend an hour brushing out a coat oh. where I, you know, blow on the dog's back and, and <laughs> it's the gone in the house. Right. That's right. Yeah. Um, so that certainly contributed to it. And I was young, I was a kid at the time, you know, newly married with my wife and we just got some probably puppy mill Visha at the time, but read a bunch of, read a bunch of books, Delmer Smith, how to train your gun dog type stuff, mm-hmm. read, there's no internet at that time. Right? <laughs> Wait, can, what? Put things in perspective. Yeah, no right. no yeah. podcast you can listen That's to. Right. My dog no training, podcast, no that. YouTube, <laughs> no DVDs. and no, the DVDs didn't exist. None of that. So it was buy a book, read a book, apply. Uh, and that's what I did with my first dog. Um, and then ever since then we were hooked on the Vishlas and, mm. and after that first dog, we got, um, three more now. So i still have two in the house. They, 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 uh, they sucked you in that first one. Just, yeah. Tell, tell me yeah. about your first dog. What was boy, girl, what was, what was that dog like? Boy, his name was Murphy. Um, I had no, I didn't even buy him for the purpose of hunting. Oh, okay. now it was on the back of my mind, right? It was more fitness related. We were, okay uh, pretty, pretty, uh, prolific runners at the time, um, bought the dog here in Iowa, uh, thinking back on it, you know, not sure, you know, of the quality genetics, <laughs> you know, in association with that dog. Sure. Uh, but you know, as I'm sure you've heard from many people, you, you learn a lot with that first dog, right? You learn from each other, he, from me and, and, and me from him, sure. uh, which made me, certainly still today, I'm no dog trainer, right? I'll never claim to be a dog trainer, but I learned a lot about dog training with that dog that made me, um, a better owner and handler, um, for my three, uh, subsequent dogs. Uh, but he was, you know, again, that was at a time where we were a million plus birds, uh, a year. So lack, if, if I'm right in that there were, you know, um, maybe the genetics weren't, weren't the best, uh, for, for that Visha at the time, there were so many birds. It didn't matter. Right. (laughs) Um, we would go a field and it it was typically one field hunts at that point in time and two man limit in in one field, 20 to 40 acres. It was no problem back in the early two thousands. Um, no, it's different now. Sure. Sure. Um, (laughs) But but that dog, that dog easy back then. Yeah. That dog got a lot of bird contacts and a lot of exposure and yep. No doubt about it. He died of cancer unexpectedly at, at eight. And I had just gotten Gunner, my second male, who that's the dog that just passed here. Um, okay. I think it was June of this, this summer. Okay. Um, and that dog was a phenomenal mm. dog. Just a really, that dog and I, he's, we spent a lot of hours of field mm. and, um, 
he he passed away at he was just 12 not quite 13 years old okay. but oh, a lot of miles good, on that good dog. full life good full yeah. life what yeah. when you were picking out your second one because again you know we all know that first dog teaches us so much and we learn what we like what we don't like all that stuff um that, picking out that second dog what were you were you looking for anything different in that in that you know, that litter you were picking out or that, that breeding, like, what was that process like for you? Certainly it was, it was hunting first, right? Oh. It was hunting first. Uh, there was no debate about breed, right? We were committed to the visual, as you had mentioned. Um, and we looked at, we, we picked the, we picked the breeder, we picked the litter, right. Okay. As opposed to picking a dog, right. Mm. Before it was just find a litter, pick sure. a dog, right. <laughs> yeah. Um, so genetics was very much, we we're significantly, I was yeah. much, much more mindful about the genetics and specifically about researching, um, uh, the, 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 the breeding pair at that point in time. Sure. Um, and it was definitely a better dog as yeah. a result of that. That's awesome. That's awesome. And then, so you still have the two right now, right? Got two. I've got a okay. four-year-old female at home who's, uh, curled up on the dog bed next to me now. Okay. And then I've got a one-year-old male. Uh, running around the house. I'm surprised he's not in the room now. So, <laughs> and so I've just gone through, you know, a significant amount of training with him. Sure. Uh, and I did hunt him uh, a little bit to my pleasant surprise. I did hunt him uh, almost the entirety of last season at roughly, wow. you know, seven months. And we shot a lot of birds over <laughs> that dog. So I'm really, really enthused um, about what he's going to bring to the table yeah. this year. Sounds like he had a good, good introduction and good, uh, good exposure to start things off. He did bird wild birds, make it, make a bird dog, right? Yeah. hundred uh, percent. You, yeah. you can't reenact that even, you know, pigeons, tr- launchers, it's all, it's all good. I think it, it helps and it serves a, they serve a purpose, but birds are going to teach your dog a lot. No doubt. No doubt. Yeah. That's awesome, man. Well, they're, they're beautiful looking dogs. I, 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 the visualists have always intrigued me, uh, their color, their coat, just, they, they look like they're built they look very athletic. They have that, that muscle yeah. build, that tone, um, that if I didn't, if I wasn't so committed to the Britneys, they probably would be, be on my list. Well, I did hear, although it's, I, I thought it was GSP on, on second on your list on, on one of your prior podcasts. Somebody asked you that question. I was a little disappointed. The Vishla wasn't there. Yeah. Yes. I, I guess it's, it's, it gets touchy when people try to try to nail it down and pinpoint me. I might've said that, but I, I don't know. I don't know if a, a GSP could be that high on my list. I, I'd have to go back and see. Yeah. <laughs> I've been around some great GSPs. Don't get me wrong. Um, I've also been around just some, you know, other GSPs. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so. I mean, yeah, it's dogs are like, dogs yeah. are like people, right? Um, certainly genetics make a, make a part, but environmental yeah. exposure makes a big part. Absolutely. Um, with us. So Absolutely. I've hunted, with, uh, hunted behind and helped train a ton of different dogs. Uh, but it's only, Vishlas are for me. Yeah. Vishlas are for me. That's for awesome. Sure. Um, okay. Because you own Vishlas and because the big thing with Vishlas is I hear people say they're soft. People say they're, they get gun shy very easily, blah, blah, blah. What's your experience with them? Training them, getting them around birds, gunfire, all that good stuff. What's it been yeah, like? Yeah. So Anthony at fetching feathers, right? Yeah. I, I remember. Yeah. I remember that. that. He was very yeah. hard on the Vishla. Yeah. Yeah. Um, there's some truth to it. Uh, okay. So let me, let me, I'll just use my, my two dogs in the house uh, as examples. So that my four-year-old female, um, amazingly impressive prey drive. I mean, she wants to hunt and kill stuff. Mm. It's amazing. <laughs> um, but when you come up to pet her on the ground, she'll roll over and expose her belly. <laughs> right. Um, so 
Generally, I would say Vishlas are very much a thinking dog. They're very intelligent dogs, which is one thing that actually drew me to them. Yeah. And I think their head can sometimes get in the way. Hmm. And, and that is true for my female. Okay. I've put her through force fetch, actually employed a friend who's a professional trainer to, to help me kind of polish off a little bit of that force mm-hmm. fetch. Um, and that she's, she's quirky. There's no mm-hmm. doubt about it. So there's some truth to that. Now, um, my one-year-old male, he's a blockhead, right? <laughs> I mean, the dog is uh, a hunting machine. Yeah. Uh, he will run through concrete for me, right? Uh, has been massively easy to train. Hmm. Um, so I don't mean lack of intelligence from a blockhead perspective, yeah. but just his, his drive and willingness to um, push through fear hmm. is different than that of my female. Um, and I don't think it's a male female thing. I don't yeah. think that's limited to a Vishla thing, but generally I think there is some truth that, that, um, many of Vishla can come across as soft and you have to be patient with them sure. and they could be, you know, more susceptible to being gun shy, right? If you make mistakes as a, mm-hmm. as a trainer, uh, I do think there's something there. Sure. Yeah, that's good, man. Thanks for sharing that. Cause that's, again, you just don't, more, more people that have different breeds. It's, it's really fun to learn actual life experience. Hey, what is it living with them? What is it training with them? And, yeah. and to get that perspective, I, uh, I really like that, but they, they are beautiful dogs. I, um, I did a, a hunt test, AKC hunt test last year with Gage, my, my four-year-old male. And, uh, it was put on by a Vishla club. So there was Vishla's everywhere. Um, mm-hmm. and they, uh, one thing that surprised me seeing more of them up close is, uh, their tails are a lot longer than I thought they would be. I thought they were going to be a little, you know, kind of Bob Brittany tails. Um, and they, it looks like they, they dock them a little bit longer. Yeah. Yeah. And in here too, I'm, I'm not the authoritative source by any means, but I think they can, there's definitely a range which they can okay. cut within. I think most cut within the fourth and fifth vertebrae on the tail, okay. but you're right. It's much more than the Bob on a, on a Brit yeah. or anything like that. Significantly yep. more. Um, looking at my female now, I don't know. She's probably yeah, seven inches. Yeah. Something yeah, like just, that. Yeah. Longer than I, I was, I was expecting, but yeah. Yeah. Beautiful looking dogs. And you'll see some, especially over in Europe or Hungary, they even have longer tails. In fact, I know sometimes they don't even dock oh, wow. uh, over there. So, okay. uh, but from an AKC perspective and, and, uh, there are certain regulations, but there's variability, right? There's a range yeah. that one can apply. So I think it's breeder specific. Yeah. Gotcha. Um, are you, do you have any plans that are you going to do a breeding with your female, female and male or no female? <laughs> she's spayed. She's got some of that quirkiness where I wouldn't push okay. that on. I've already been asked to have my male bred okay. with a couple. I've not um, taken that up, but he um, he's intact okay. and may, maybe, you know, I haven't, I, I sure as shit don't have any interest <laughs> for another puppy. I can <laughs> sure, sure. I just made my way through that. Yeah. So I don't want another dog just yet, but you know sure. what? Maybe five, six years. Yeah. Maybe. Um, um, so we'll see if he, if, if Maverick, he's the one-year-old, yeah. if he lives up to and continues making gains that he demonstrated at seven, eight months of field last yeah. year, I should, I mean, I shot over a hundred birds over him at seven months old. Jeez. Wow. Um, and he's retrieving, uh, which is not natural for any pointing okay. dog. Right. Okay, yeah. Um, so he's showing that natural. Um, so he's got, he's got he's some, show, some, he's showing, and yeah. some skill he, sets that he's um, showing you some stuff. That's right. I'm enthused that's, about. So that's awesome, man. 
Yeah. Yeah. That's awesome. Um, well, very cool. I was going to ask you something else, but I forgot. But um, as we kind of wrap up here, um, I know you, you gave a lot of great advice in the beginning, just as we, we were talking about new hunters, all that good stuff. But I'd love to ask every guest, um, you know, the, the new Upland hunter out there who's listening to this podcast right now, um, what's, what's something you would share with them? Uh, say, you know, we're still early in, in, you know, some States season, uh, some seasons might just be opening up soon here. What's a piece of advice that you would, uh, you'd give to them. So the majority of my advice would be to somebody that's, um, you know, already entrenched within the sport and it would be one of encouragement to reach out to those, Mm. right. That are interested in those rookies, right. (laughs) That are interested in coming into the sport. Now that said, um, if they don't have a connection like that, that they can leverage. Certainly you mentioned trial or hunt clubs. I mean, it, it is a good way. It's not for me personally, right. I've, I've been through it myself, but it's not something that I'm, I'm committed to right now, but it is a great way in which to be exposed generally to dogs. And I'm not going to say hunting because trialing and hunt tests sure. is not hunting. Very different. Um, but it is a good way in which to um, learn more about the, the sport and explore what I'm guessing to be interest, right. If people are reaching out in that regard hmm. um, and, you know, participate in those processes. Like if you get a dog, right. I mean, if you get a dog and look to train a dog uh, to, to hunt birds uh, you're going to do it right. Hmm. Uh, you're going to lean into that. You're going to make your mistake. Sure. Just as I did. I'm sure you did too. Will. Um, there's nothing wrong with that. And I would just yeah. encourage that, but it's, it's tough, you know, hmm. I've read some articles, even some PF articles about, you know, uh, it's, it's low barrier to entry for mm. upland hunting. I don't, you know, I don't personally subscribe to that. Mm. Um, there's a lot of, um, there's a number of things that can prevent people from really committing to the sport. And I think the better they have somebody to, to guide them along the process I think it, it significantly improves the ability uh, and the sustainability of that person's interest hmm. so that they can commit uh, to the sport themselves and then hopefully pass that on. Right. So, yeah. so my message is, is really just one of encouragement for those that are involved, reach out and ask people to come along. Yeah. Right. Yeah, absolutely, man. Do you, um, with that, we kind of that barrier to entry we just mentioned, do you feel the barrier is actually high to entry to the sport? So I think it depends upon the person, but look, if you don't have a firearm, right, <laughs> you, you, you have insecurities about, um, learning how to use a firearm. Mm. You don't know where to go. Right. And if you're in a state like Iowa, where there's 2%, you know, private yep. lands, the, the opportunity is less so from a public land perspective than, than for those that are, are out West. Um, and then ultimately you're, if, if you want to be really successful, you're going to have to invest in a dog. And then you've got all the insecurities about how to train a dog. And I don't know that. Right. Um, so it, it, just like we were talking about personalities with, with dogs, the same applies with people. If you're just willing to lean into it and explore and make mistakes, then I think those people, um, can certainly, um, enter at low barrier, Mm. but for the majority especially if there are city dwellers or those in suburbia that didn't grow up and just generally had no exposure. I think it's a pretty big hurdle to overcome on your own. Yeah. Right. And that's where the encouragement it's like inviting people to church, right? Totally. 
somebody invites you to church, you're much more likely to come yep. right? than, <laughs> versus than just, go, than just in go yourself. on your own, pick a church and go on your own, right? Which yep. church to go to? When do I go? What's the service yep. like? What do I wear? Right? Where do I sit? What do I, yeah, who right. do I talk to? Right. Do I not talk to? Yeah. It, it, it's, it's the same thing. So it's, um, we, uh, you the successes and the sustainability of our, our support are dependent upon a lot of things that we can't control. Hmm. Um, investment of lands, sustainability of lands, weather, hmm. right? <laughs> um, b- bird populations in alignment with that or not, right? Um, the, the more that we can do to help others out, um, it's just, it, it, it's just, again, I'm personally compelled uh, yeah. to have that be kind of my, my own personal diatribe and, and the encouragement that I would offer to others. And, and, you know, another thing that we didn't get into, but something that I, I'm personally passionate about is I journal all of my hunts. Mm. Right? So I try to capture the experience as best I can. And I actually use that as a tool. I share my journal with others mm. so that That's they awesome. can read and kind of envision yeah. what might also be possible for them. Right. That's fantastic. Um, so that would be, you know, something that I would encourage net new, um, people that are net new to upland hunting or net yeah. new to, to buying and training a dog is, is journal your experience because yeah. you'll never regret that as you look yeah. back and in, in subsequent years and you'll see how far you've come along. That's fantastic. I've, I've had a couple guests that we've, we've actually talked about the whole journaling process and, and kind of what that can mean for your experience, passing it down to your kids, grandkids, et cetera. Um, and that's, that's, that's something I, I've actually personally taken to heart this year. Um, all September I've, I've gotten all my hunts, uh, entered into, entered into, uh, it's a note app on my phone. And yep. again, I'm just jotting down some of the highlights, some of the people I've hunted with, uh, some of the laughs, some of the good dog work, some of the bad dog work. And, uh, I think those will be really cool to, uh, yeah, to look back on, but I, I like that you said, even using that as a tool for new hunters and, and Absolutely. letting them into, Hey, this is my experience in Nebraska this year. It was freaking hot. And, you know, <laughs> we saw some birds here. So, you know, I think that that could be a really cool tool. That's right. Yeah. You know, when we're in the truck earlier, you asked about kids in the truck, right. And we're driving out, we've got whatever 30 minute drive out to some field. I've, I have hard copy, right. Mm-hmm. I have hard copy because again, there, there was no notes. On iPhone. <laughs> there was no iPhone then. Right. Yeah, yeah. But I started hard copy, which I still carry forward today yeah. because I want to see the handwriting. All of my guests mm. write in the journal. I want to see the handwriting. I have handwriting for my kids and my mm. friends, kids, right. And yeah. other kids in the book and along with pictures. Right. But as we're driving out and we're going to, you know, Bill Smith's field, yeah. they'll look up Bill Smith's field and they'll see, Oh, the last time you're here, we saw this. Oh, that's right? cool. So it builds enthusiasm. Yeah. Right. You're, you're shaping the story before they get to experience it themselves, which again, I think only increases their interest in that moment. And then hope, and then, then they get to create and capture yeah. their own story. When we get back in the truck yep. after their hunt, right? Dude, so, Nate, this is, you got me excited now. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You should. Someday I'm going to turn that book. Uh, or that journal is going to be a book uh, and I'm going to give it away to as many people as I can, but that is uh, really cool. It's uh, yeah. It was something I started when I was a kid myself, mostly about just kind of like what we, how we use Onyx today, right. To capture, this is where I found birds, right. This is what the weather was like, all those types of things. But really what I most appreciate it now is just all the stories Yeah, that that could have nothing to do with bagging a bird. (laughs) Sure. Um, So that, that, that would be another piece of encouragement that I would have for all of us, whether we be rookie hunters or, you know, somebody that that's got 30 years of field like I do. 
Yeah, that's fantastic. So well said, Nate. Yeah. I, I really appreciate that uh, that wisdom you just you just laid down for this this, this audience. So I appreciate sure. it. Sure. Um, all right, brother. We're going to end on uh, a rapid fire section. So just yeah. got a couple questions for you. Um, just kind of give me your off the cuff answer. Um, I always say, if you need to expand on anything, feel free, <laughs> but all right. um, we'll kind of jump through a couple things here and we will wrap things up. Um, all right. Chase and Iowa roosters. What gun are you carrying out into the field and why? I shoot a Benelli M2. Um, a gun to me is a tool. And so it's function over form. Now, Benelli's, they have pretty sweet form too. Sure. Right? <laughs> yes, they do. Black, you know, synthetic Benelli M2. And I carry it because it is indestructible hmm. and it is reliable. Uh, now why I went that route when I, <laughs> when I started <laughs> hunting, I was carrying a, a Remington 1100. And if anybody has ever carried that gun, I'm, I'm pretty sure it weighs 76 pounds. <laughs> so I was definitely interested <laughs> in getting, uh, getting away from that gun. And I was really enthused by, by both form and function, but function on the Benelli sold me. Yeah. And I, I, I it's just a, I, a fantastic gun. I bought a Frankie for my, for my daughter yeah. last year. I'm, I'm sold on Benelli's okay. for sure. That's, that's fantastic. I was actually just going to ask you, uh, what, uh, what youth gun have you used with your kids? 20 gauge Frankie, okay. um, bought it, it, um, shorter barrel, lighter gun. The, yeah. They're very light. Right. Nice. Um, and it's been, it's been a great, great little gun. The, the, the Frankie over under or the semi? No, semi. Okay. Okay. That's yeah. awesome. Yeah. That's very cool. I shoot it. Yeah. The M2 is a semi as well. Okay. I looked, I looked hard. I'm actually, I'm right-handed, but I'm left eye dominant. So I, I oh. switched over. I taught my, I taught myself so you, in the you early shoot 2000s to switch up. I shoot left. Wow. Yep. Okay. So I retaught myself to shoot lefty. I, I went through the whole process of switching the safety around, but then the, the shell still ejecting across my oh. face. Right? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So I finally went and that, that was one of the things that, that drew me to a new gun, which sure. brought me into the Benelli M2. Function. Yeah. Um, yeah. So very uh, cool. But, but yeah, my, my daughter in particular, she really likes the Bronchi as well. That's awesome. Cool. All right. Uh, favorite dog breed besides the Vishla. Hmm. So my favorites aren't specific to breed and more about the dog in question, right? Just like, okay. <laughs> um, so I would say if I were to buy a different dog, it would probably be a GSP, right? Okay. Definitely be a short hair dog. Again, yeah. it's too many burrs and briars sure. and all that stuff. I'm not going with a long hair dog. Right? <laughs> yeah. A friend of mine, one of my best friends has a setter and just oh. too much, too much work. <laughs> That's a lot. Uh, I don't want to go. Uh, but that said, I've hunted behind Britney's. I loved them. Wire hairs, right? Um, yeah. Labs, yellow, black labs. Um, I've, hunted behind, I've hunted behind standard poodles, if you believe that. Nice. Um, and there are a lot of attributes about all of those dogs yeah. um, that I enjoy. So That's cool. It's less so about breed for me and more about the, the specific dog. Love it. Love it. Um, how many, give me a, your best estimate. How many new hunters did you take out last year? Oh, it's not an estimate. I know because I oh, nice. record this 70, uh, but now I'm going to ask, I believe it's 72, 72 or 74 <laughs> new. I took out last year. Shut the front door. Yeah. <laughs> you for real? That, be, that is yeah, incredible. That yeah, is incredible. Yeah. So good for you. Yeah. Yeah. I, um, it's again, my kind of that, that, uh, the, the life of the maturation of a pheasant hunter, like I said, it's mm. now it's about me 
getting to pass it on, see their experiences, yeah. see their first, whatever they might be. First time walking a field, right? Yeah. First time carrying a gun, first time shooting the gun, first mm. time bagging a rooster, first time the dog pointing in front of them, right? There's yeah. a lot of firsts. Yeah. So my passion now is about capturing that. So I'm carrying camera more than I'm, especially when I've, I got kids a field, I'm not carrying a gun, right? Sure. Uh, so I'm trying to carry camera and capture the essence. Yeah. Uh, and I haven't figured it out just yet, but I want to somehow capture the essence of that hunt. And I've got the GoPros and I've got the okay. iPhones. So I've got double yep. videos going on and all those yeah. types of things. <laughs> nice. Someday I'm going to work a drone into the picture so I can really try <laughs> to get those overhead shots. Yeah. But, a couple uh, different angles. <laughs> yeah. 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 That's cool. Yeah. I saw you got some of the GoPro footage up there. That's, that's pretty cool. Yeah. 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 That's awesome, man. All right. A couple more here. Um, so, so a couple of these are standard questions I ask everyone, mm-hmm. but I think I already know your answer to a couple of these. Um, a solo hunt with you and your dog or a group hunt with friends? Um, so I would say taking kids first. Okay. For sure. Um, and then honestly, most of the time I have people in the truck with me, right? But I don't do a lot of big group hunts. Like um, I'm not taking five, you know, adult hunters out. Sure. Very, that's a rarity. I mean, yeah. a significant rarity. Usually it's one other hunter in the truck with me uh, that happens to reach out and said, hey, I'm new to the area, this or that. Or, you know, certainly I have consistent, you know, really good friends sure. uh, that I take out and they've got their dogs too. Okay. Uh, but th- there's aspects of... I definitely enjoy the camaraderie, which yeah. is, I think probably yeah, what you I, had on my I, I was, I was guessing. Yeah. I was guessing. Yeah. You'd yeah. go that route, but there's, de- there is certainly something to be said also about the serenity of mm-hmm. just you and your dog, a field, especially inch of snow on the ground, right? White powdery snow. <laughs> Paint, that picture. Crunchy, Paint that right? picture. <laughs> White, you know, an inch of powdery snow. So it's not crunchy. You know, it's not that icy stuff. Um, walking shorter grasses, crystal blue sky, sun's <laughs> out, right? 35 to 40 degrees, just you yep. and your dog. Yep. Variable winds, five to eight miles an hour. That's, there's a lot to be said about that. Yeah. Too. Yeah. That's, that's picture perfect right there. Yeah. How many, yeah. how many more days until uh, your opener? So, um, regular opener here in Iowa is the last Saturday of every October. Okay. So I think this year it's the 30th. Um, I think you're right. That is a Saturday. I know. Okay. Yeah. So I think that's regular opener. So, so youth opener is the week prior and it's okay. just the weekend. So that'll okay. be what the 23rd and 24th. So I'll be taking out, I think I have seven kids lined up um, that Saturday and Sunday nice. collectively. So I'm hoping to, uh, you know, make for the best experience I can. And some of them I'm sure I'll shoot a bird. Yeah. Um, and so I'll be out in the field, um, with camera in hand, guiding kids with, with guns on the 23rd. Yeah. That's fantastic, man. That's fantastic. I love it. You're yeah. doing that. love it. You're introducing, uh, both youth and adults to, to this, this amazing thing we were addicted to called, called upland hunting. So <laughs> that's, yeah. that's pretty, that's pretty cool. Um, absolutely, man. Nate, how can, uh, how can people reach out to you? Is it Instagram? What's the best way to, if they have questions or want to connect? Yeah. So besides today, right. Facebook and Instagram were down today, right? (laughs) Yeah, that's right. That was pretty crazy. (laughs) Um, but normally, yeah, most days, um, Instagram, it's just Nate P. Um, my middle initial is P Paul, Nate, 
P Strickler. So just at Nate P Strickler, you can find me on Instagram. Uh, you can find me on Facebook just under my name as well. Uh, I get in the off season, I get new people reaching out a couple new, maybe three people new a week during season. Sure. It's probably that many every day, <laughs> Okay, but you know, I'm, uh, this too is certainly reflective of, of where I'm at in, in my stage of upland hunting. Hmm. I would much, much prefer to have a conversation, to host a conversation, share what I know. If you're from out of state and you're coming to Iowa, certainly I, I will be candid and share uh, my perspective and, mm-hmm. and offer guidance on, on what public lands I think to be best. And that'll be based on my own boot leather, the sure. own investment that I personally made in acquiring that information. It's not something yeah. that I'm passing on that I happen to get from somebody else. Sure. But you know, there's a lot of, we're in this interesting dichotomy, right? Where there's some level of protectionism. Yeah. You've got your ground, you've put in your work and, and you know what people have earned that, right? Sure. They put in the windshield time. They put in the time on Onyx researching. They've got their own boot leather. They, sure. They've earned the right to that knowledge. Um, but at the same time, if all of us operate that way, how are yeah. we going to welcome in new hunters? Right? Yeah. Yeah. So um, I, I welcome the conversations. Again, I get many a message. I will very likely um, talk with you over the phone certainly share some information, you know, via messenger exchange or what have you. Yeah. Uh, so I welcome people reaching out and I'll, I'll share what I know. Yeah. That's fantastic, man. Well, Nate, this has been a blast talking with you. Um, hear more about your story, your passions, uh, hear about your dogs, your family, all that, all that stuff. Um, so appreciate your time, man. This has been a blast and, uh, I look forward to, um, chatting with you more throughout the season, seeing, uh, some more GoPro footage and <laughs> seeing how uh, yeah. your season shapes up. For sure. Yeah. I've enjoyed it too. It's nice meeting you in person. Good luck, man. Yeah. I, 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 as mentioned earlier, I'm a podcast enthusiast. I, I really like your podcast. You've, you've, Thank it's you. It's a quality production. You've got, qual- save for today, you've got quality guests, right? <laughs> Absolutely. Thank you. You're definitely, <laughs> definitely a quality guest. I've, I'm lucky to, uh, I'm glad we found the time to uh, make this work. So I appreciate Me it. Me too. Yeah. Thanks awesome. for reaching out, man. Absolutely, Nate. Thanks so much and right. uh, have fun this season. All right. We'll do. Take care. Bye. Well, that is a wrap of episode 27 with Nate Strickler. Gosh, uh, Nate, just thank you. Thank you so much uh, carving out time, chatting with me, and just sharing uh, some of your passion. Um, it's very evident just um, how important uh, getting youth involved uh, into upland hunting is to you, uh, how important your family is to you, and I, I really respect and admire that. So um, thank you once again. Hey guys, if you're enjoying the podcast, would you do me a favor and head over to Apple Podcasts, leave a rating and a written review. Uh, Really would help just get this podcast out there to more hunters just like you. Uh, Also, share it with a friend or two. Uh, Share it in your stories on social media. Um, Just, yeah, just help share it. Say what you liked about it. We didn't like about it. I mean, <laughs> whatever, uh, whatever you feel like. Uh, love hearing uh, some of your takeaways, some of the things that you learned uh, from this episode. So, anyways, until next week, if you're not able to hunt with or own a Brittany, it is okay. Any bird dog is better than no bird dog. Go put some miles on those boots and have fun. <laughs>